This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Shouldn't you be at work? When the seagulls follow the trawler, it's because they think sardines will be thrown into the sea. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. I'll have a low-fat pizza or something like that, or a few biscuits and some milk on a Sunday. And you can pair up if you like, and you can fucking pick someone else to help you, and you can bring your fucking dinner. Oh, a magnificent goal from Darren Huckabee! Now, you know him better than anybody, probably. Do you back him to score quickly, yes or no? Yes. Oh, oh and he has to. No! Hello and welcome back to Quickly Kevin, Will He Score? I'm Chris Gold. Joining me as always, Josh Whittacombe. Hello. And say hello, Dungeoneers, to our nightmarish director of podcasts. It's Michael Marden. Hello. Don't trust him. Don't trust him. There's a woman in there with a pot. Take two steps to the left. <laughs> Would you have gone on if you'd had the opportunity? Oh, absolutely. That was my dream. Would you? Yeah, Ooh. I wanted to go on Nightmare so badly. Why wouldn't you, Chris? Not cool enough. It's scary. Scared scary. the crap out of me. Well scary. I was. I used to find it quite scary that they were frozen at the end of the episode. I didn't quite understand when I was very young that that was a, a, a not actually happening. And I didn't need that in my life. <laughs> the holes. The holes in the ground. Have you seen that brilliant clip of Nightmare where the oh, kids... I was just about to bring that up. It's one what? of my favourite clips of all time, that clip. Go on. It's just a kid who confuses left and right. Earlier in the clip, and then later in the clip, the same kid directs another kid just to fall straight off a bridge. It's like first move. He basically goes like, take one step to your left. No, 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 right. And then he plummets. But there's this look that his teammate gives him, this withering look of contempt that just kills me every time. I must have told you that someone from a neighbouring school won Nightmare. I think he might have. I think he might have. Yeah, and their name was Dickon Hares. 
That's unfortunate. Do they read it out of their name out? I, d- I don't know if it's, it's read out on the episode, but his name was Dick and Hairs. <laughs> he went to the grammar school. And um, they, they won Nightmare, which is a, is a rare feat. But would it make up for the fact you're called Dick and Hairs? <laughs> what, what's, what's his first name? Dickon. Dickon. Is that, I've never heard that name. Well, well, you've never heard that name. Get ready, because we have some more news on that. Shall we start with the electronic post bag? Because we have big Ian St John news. <laughs> Let's go. I'm Jim Rosenthal, and this is the electronic post bag. You've got mail. I've got some news on John St John. So this was established in a previous episode that Ian St John's name, according to Wikipedia, is John St John. A lot of people have emailed in. Uh, on the two elements of this. Uh, so thank you to all the emails, but uh, we're choosing these two for no particular reason. Arthur Lamb. On the subject of Ian St John really being called John St John, St John is actually sometimes pronounced Sinjun. So he's, his, his name is actually John Sinjun. What? That's it's even more confusing, if anything. Yeah, so that's one element of it, is that he's called John Sinjun. And the other element of it is this from a lot of people. This from Linda Cannon. Hi, I'm just listening to the above episode and your musings on why John St. John had the boring nickname Ian. Ian is Scottish Gaelic for John, so he hasn't really changed his name. So, confusingly, <laughs> Ian is Gaelic for John. Trying to figure out his name is like walking through treacle. It's astonishing. So, he could be anything from John St. John to Ian St. John to Ian Sinjun to John... <laughs> Sinjun to any of these options, they're all movable parts and they all work. And he's opted for Ian St. John. Okay. Do you want another follow up uh, on a thing, something we've discussed on a previous episode? We were discussing the fact that David James, oh, David James, David Seaman had played 340 games before he got to Arsenal. We were also discussing the best calls we'd ever had heard on um, football phone ins. Yeah. This is from James Rife. Hello, chaps. Thank you all so much for the podcast. I wonder if this below might qualify for this segment on your wonderful podcast. Do I remember this right? 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 Right. David Seaman joined Arsenal from QPR in 1990. Sometimes afterwards, in the early to mid-90s, Arsenal were playing away at one of the Sheffield teams. My memory was that it was United and lost. At the time, with parents that refused to subscribe to the razzmatazz of B Sky B, my primary source of live football coverage was our local London radio station, Capital Gold. Their coverage was fronted by, for one point, anyone? Jonathan Pearce. Correct. Uh, Who became the voice of my footballing childhood. And Robot Wars. And Robot Wars. As was typical, despite the loss, I was keen to absorb as much content as possible, so kept my radio tuned in for the post-match phone-in. This is where my cry for sanity comes in, because I have a vivid memory of Sandra from Sheffield calling in. She proceeded to utterly and very publicly eviscerate the character of our much-loved number one David Seaman. This is because Sandra was his estranged ex-wife and mother of his two sons. (laughs) I recall that she took great delight in Arsenal losing and very clearly referenced how he'd left her and the two boys for another woman. Pierce was, I recall, despite his professionalism, somewhat flustered and tried to move the crawl along. 
It's stuck in my head because as a teenager, it was novel to hear such a public airing of Dirty Laundry <laughs> and to realise that one of my heroes was so fallible. If anything, it undermined my affection for Seaman ever since, despite his footballing excellence. So, does anyone in the Quickly-verse remember this or have I made it up? I've searched the internet but cannot find any reference to this incident. Thoughts? I love it. <laughs> well, I'm just looking at David Seaman's personal life on his Wikipedia. I've checked. His first wife is called Sandra. Oh, because his personal life starts with his second wife. There's no reference to the first, but okay, she's called Sandra. Well, we yeah, know if that you much. Google Sandra Seaman, uh, it does come up <laughs> with some, some sinister images. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, David Seaman's actually had 360 plus marriages before his his second marriage. <laughs> Um, isn't that an astonishing story? That's great. Surely it can't be true, can it? But what she, she she's not having a go at him as a goalkeeper. She's having a go at him as well, a man. Well, I think she's You're using what? the opportunity that they lost to... Right, right. Have a go at him. If, if, you, if you're the sort of presenter or producer of that segment, I know it says that Jonathan Pierce tried to handle it or seemed flustered, but secretly you're loving that, aren't you? Because why put her through yeah. otherwise? Or do you think she didn't say that she was... I don't think she said it. I don't think she said it to the, the uh, yeah, producer. Whoever's sort she's... of handling the call, and then yeah. she's gone, right, great. They've fallen for my hot take on uh, Sheffield versus Arsenal. Now let's really throw some grenades in here. <laughs> They're sat there going, she was going to talk about the, the, the atmosphere at Bramall Lane being a real <laughs> Imagine David Seaman, he's just lost that match and then he gets winner. Oh, yeah, and your ex wife's phoned up Capital Gold. It's absolutely buried you. Oh. Where, where are his two kids at this point? Are they in the house? Like... <laughs> They're calling 606. <laughs> Do, do you think if either of your exes dialed into this show right now under the guise of having a, a hot take on Yuri Geller? <laughs> <laughs> and then proceeded to just go, what awful people we were. Yeah. <laughs> um, is it the time for the 90s o'clock news? Let's go. Headquarters of ITN News at 10 with Chris Scott. Two stories for you this week. Matt Latiss to host Park Conspiracy Park Football Live Show. Oh no. And more Team Photo Japes. Yes, got even more Team Photo Japes coming up. Oh, great. Uh, but let's start. Should we start with Matt Latiss, who is doing a show at Southampton Hall with AJ Roberts? It's a show titled Joining the Dots. Come and enjoy an informative evening with former Southampton FC legend Matt Latiss. That means he was—he used to be a legend, former Southampton FC legend Matt Latiss, hosted by AJ Roberts. Now you're probably wondering, will he be talking about chipping Peter Schmeichel? You know the famous rollicking they gave United at the Dell, the Grey Kit fiasco. Here's what they'll be covering: the pandemic, oh, no. totalitarianism, the Great Reset, genocide, and current world events. Oh, but also. It will be some fascinating insight into the goal machine that is Matt Letizia. <laughs> and how his new goals very much include fighting for freedom and choice. Wow. New goals. Oh, wow. Um, how many people, because that's in Southampton, how many people are going to go to that not knowing what it is? It's the hottest ticket in town since Kevin Keegan hosted that barbecue awards. It really is. But there's going to be people that are just fans of football that turn up thinking they're getting a Q&A with Matt Letizia, isn't there? 
What's the Venn diagram there of ninety of like kind of Latisse fans and conspiracy fans? Do you think you've got to be a fan of both to go? Will there be people who only know Matt Latissier now through his? Are there his conspiracy work? Yeah, his conspiracy. <laughs> like, Hang on, when Matt Latissier and this live event starts talking about football. You, what the hell is he talking about? Do you think about? if you're big on the conspiracy scene, you don't really like Matt Latis because he's a bit of a latecomer? <laughs> he's like, he's yeah. a famous person. He's not really done the legwork, do you know what I mean? And he's, he's yeah, certainly just, selling just like out Southampton Central Hall. <laughs> There's going to be people that leave that. There's going to be walkouts. 100%, isn't there? But the interesting thing is, like, he's been involved in a lot of football conspiracies himself. Like, the, the Grey Kit stuff, the Ali Dyer stuff. Yeah. He's not going to know which way's up. Like one minute he's talking about some of those football conspiracies, and then he's going to other conspiracies in the wider world. It's going to be a very confusing night, surely. Well, if you if you spend fifteen years of your life playing in front of a stand that disappears when it goes from right to left, <laughs> you've got to, you've got to be questioning everything, really, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> who is AJ Roberts? I don't know who he is. Um, I think Graham Souness mistakenly signed yeah. him. I don't know. <laughs> he, he, he told Matt Letizia that he's David Icke's cousin, so Matt Letizia <laughs> agreed to perform with him. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, what else have you got for us? Well, more team photo japes. Let's have a couple. I'll send them to your, your WhatsApp so you can have a look, and we'll put them on our Instagram. Right. Two team photo japes. The first one, thank you to Phantomantle on Twitter. It's Chelsea, early 90s, looks to be about 92. Jason Cundy. That is a squad of 20 players. God, that is a small. 20 players. Jason Cundy, Dennis Wise. Front row, far left. Oh, they've got their hands they've, on each other's switched knees. their hands so they're on each other's knees. Very nice. That's very nice. And then uh, similar, Rob, thank you to Rob Facey on Twitter. Have a look at Julian Dix, Neil Ruddock, Robbie Fowler I've, on I've the front this row. One, this yeah, is yeah. Liverpool, about 93. Wonderful stuff. Neil Ruddock has his hands on both the knees of Julian Dix and Robbie Fowler while they have their hands on his knee. That's a lovely work. Does that count as a prank? Like... What is that? What is that? Like, do they think they're being naughty? <laughs> I think it's being it's being naughty, isn't it? It's being being a bit frivolous. Can I just say that Chelsea squad is absolute dog shit, isn't it? <laughs> also, I think that Liverpool picture, Neil Wright doing that, really speaks to the lack of control Roy Evans has over his dressing room. <laughs> yeah, they're just doing what they like. I, if I was setting up a Liverpool club pick, there's no way I'm putting Neil Ruddock next to Robbie Fowler and Julian Dix as well. Like. You're putting all the naughty kids together there. Also, interestingly, like, look at the back. Don't you see on Liverpool and Chelsea? Like, if you start with Chelsea, look at the stand behind them. Like, it's just literally falling apart. There's chunks of, like, concrete where there's no plastic seats. Yeah. And then Liverpool as well. It's like those brown wooden, like, almost like school benches. And looking at that Chelsea squad, if they had a, a gun to your head and each person you name saves a member of your family, <laughs> how many people are you saving? I wouldn't have got, I wouldn't have got Jason Candy. <laughs> I'd get Dave Besson. I'm really struggling. Gordon Jury, Dennis Wise, Paul Elliott, yeah. Ken Moncow, Andy Townsend, Graham Lasseau. I'm out there. Is that Steve Clark Steve next Clark. to Graham Lasseau? Did you get Steve Clark? Graham yeah. Lasseau looks about three. <laughs> we'll pop those on our Instagram. Yes, we will pop those on our Instagram. Here's a question. You are brought in as the photographer to put together one of those football club pictures. Do you think that is a job from hell? Like, the larking about must be unbearable. 
Or do you think the manager is having yeah. to kind of help you out? I don't think I don't, don't think the manager was like, they're probably finding it as fun as the players. You know what I mean? It's so different to their day-to-day. Are they just going to be oh, messing it'd about be too? awful. It'd be worse than doing a school, wouldn't it? There's a few, there was quite a few West Ham team photos in the 90s where like there's people just looking away. Like It seemed like we had a particularly out-of-control dressing room. Like the, the best picture of the team photo, like not even all of the team are looking at the camera. Like you'd have John Moncur looking yeah, over to the left. Of course, it was bloody stuff. John Moncur. He's not looking down the camera, is he? There's no way. <laughs> Attention span of a goldfish. I'm surprised that's the only thing that's happened in that Roy Evans Liverpool picture. Just out of shot in that Liverpool one, buckets of ice and Corona that the players have demanded, that they're just all drinking between the shots. Gerard Hooley has actually told them to do that, just to undermine <laughs> <laughs> um, if you have any more, this is how to get in touch. Get in touch with the show. Email hello at quicklykevin.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at quicklykevin. And sign up to the mailing list at quicklykevin.com. Now, this is a great episode. This is Celtic in the 90s. And it's genuinely one of the most brilliant, emotional and life-affirming episodes we've done. This is Susie McCabe on Celtic in an awful decade for them, the 90s. Our next guest is a stand-up comedian and Glasgow native, and this is her second Quickly Kevin appearance, having took on the job of Scotland correspondent during last summer's Euros. But her most important job for the next hour is official QK correspondent for her team in the 90s and beyond, Celtic. Welcome to QK, Susie McCabe. Oh, thanks, guys. Listen, as much as what I love Celtic, this this is going to be a long slog for any Celtic <laughs> let me tell you. This is, this is proper PTSD. This is like, this is our NAM, guys. This is Celtic <laughs> fans' NAM. My last question, but I think I'm going to move out to my first question, is was the 90s the worst decade ever to support Celtic? Yeah, prob- yeah. I mean, there was like two little chinks of light, but yeah. I mean, it was it was tough going, and it's so hard because I love the nineties, I love the fashion, I love the music. It was my formative years, and then it goes to my beloved Glasgow Celtic, and I'm like, oh, the pain, the shame, ah, <laughs> oh, so bad. Well, well, we should start with this. We always do, I and mean, you can't overlook it. One question away from Celtic, we always ask is, have you met a nineties footballer? Yes, yes, lots of times. Yeah. What the what the major ones that stick out for you? Uh, it was so uh, Tom Boyd, former uh, Celtic captain, and Tom Boyd actually went to the school that I went to, and he was a couple of years older than me. And I was doing a, a charity thing. It was actually for a local junior football team, and they do a lot of stuff uh, with the Celtic Charity Foundation. And they had a thing for kind of pensioners at Christmas time. It, it's a club close to my heart because that the where that club is is where I spent a lot of my time at McGrand's and it's got a very, very tight connection with Celtic when Tom Boyd was there. And I explained how me, Tom, Malky Mackay and Michelle McManus all went to the same school, which had a terrible PE department but a fantastic canteen. So <laughs> <laughs> it kind of explains everything but yeah it was Tom Boyd former Celtic and Scotland captain so lovely lovely guy do you get excited meeting football like I find football is the most exciting people you can meet yeah 
Yeah, I, I do. I was uh, I was at the football a few years ago, and I met Kieran Tierney and Scott Brown. That's that's like Celtic, you know, royalty. You know what I mean? And, and it, it was just it, I, I just loved their chat. I always like to be like, oh, who's the hardest team you've came up against? And Kieran Tierney was like Motherwell because they play like a gang. <laughs> 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 Which I just loved. <laughs> I just loved it. But yeah, and uh, I met Colin Hendry recently as well, ex Rangers, Blackburn, and uh, yeah. Scotland player as well. And then, you know, most of them, I think, from that generation and and before that, they're all good guys. You know, I've met McCoyst yeah. as well, and they're all good, good guys. And they're up for a bit of banter, and they have a bit of a laugh. And I was in the stand one night actually, and Gordon Strachan was in. Uh, what, just in the audience? Yeah, just in the audience. So, and you, so you know the Glasgow stand, Josh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, so, yeah. So you know, it, it, for for people that that don't know, it, the stand's probably one of the most perfect comedy clubs you can play. And just to your right hand side, there's a kind of mezzanine, and he was in the yeah. Thursday night, and he stayed in for the whole show, and he asked if he could have a word with me. <clears throat> and I was like, absolutely. No bother, I'll take him. I'll be able to fight Gordon Stratton. We're about the same height. And uh, he is a massive comedy fan. Massive. A huge comedy fan. So him and his wife were telling me that when they used to stay, you know, the, the, the stands, the kind of West End part of Glasgow, and yeah. there's a very posh postcode just along the road. And they used to stay there. And after a Celtic home game, he would come up the road and they would have a quick bite to eat. And the show used to start at nine o'clock in Glasgow and they would yeah. come in for about ten past nine and stand at the bar and watch it. And wherever they go in the world, they go and find the local comedy clubs no. and where to go to. And he, there is nothing that man doesn't know about comedy. He wow. is an absolute encyclopedia with comedy. And he, he, no way. You wouldn't yeah. expect that, would you? I mean, he was always kind of fun, wasn't it? I don't know, yeah. from like my kind of perspective he always he was witty and he was a, seemed like sharper than your average kind of football mm. pundit certainly when he was doing punditry but i would i wouldn't have ex, i wouldn't i've expected him to be uh the world's biggest comedy nerd <laughs> oh I, I, yeah 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 and he'll be like so we were in california and we were in this club so this club's called such and such and go to new york and i go to this club and he really and, and, you know, he's sitting senior. So at this point, Gordon Strachan has managed Celtic and managed Scotland, two of the most high-pressure jobs you can get in Scottish yeah. football. And he's going, oh, I don't know how you guys can do that. <laughs> like, really? Really? Mate? Like, you need to win a league to keep your job and you don't know how I can tell some jokes. Uh, and his wife, absolutely lovely and just so nice. And all he wants to talk to you about is comedy. I know you want to talk to him about his football. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that's so, that's the way, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But such a sound guy and a massive comedy fan. So don't ever be shocked if you're just doing a random gig in a random place and Gordon Strachan picks <laughs> <it> up. <laughs> um, when did you start going to Celtic then? What kind of year? Uh, 1988, which was the centenary season. Yeah. Uh, Done the league and cup double uh, under uh, Billy McNeil, uh, yeah. probably our greatest ever captain. Uh, passed away a couple of years ago. He was the first captain of a British team to bring back the European Cup in yeah. 1967, and was also a manager twice for Celtic. And that season 
was remarkable because we, you know, it's a bit like watching Celtic just now. We either won the game in the first 20 minutes <laughs> or won it in the last two. You know, and, oh. and, and, and it was that type of season and it was the centenary season and, you know, there was a different badge in the shirt. It was the old Celtic cross and all that. And it, I, I've actually got that strip. I've still, I've got that strip in my wardrobe and uh, it, was, it was just a great season. So that's what I thought going to the football was going to be like. Oh. <laughs> and then the next, so was that the last season before it began? The nine yeah. years. Yeah, so we won the League and Cup double <clears throat> and that was fine. And we played uh, Dundee United in the Cup final and Kevin Gallagher was playing for Dundee United, who is the grandson of Patsy Gallagher, Celtic legend. And he was in the cup final and he does Roy Aitken at the byline and scores this screamer, right? So this is before he obviously goes to Blackburn. Mm. He scores this absolute screamer. And Frank Mack, Frank McAvaney pitches up two goals. Boom, oh. there's your dinner, right? And and Frank is, you know, as a player-wise, a, a Celtic legend. And uh, so we win the League and Cup double, and then 1989, we beat Rangers in the cup final. Now, this wouldn't happen today. It was a complete, <laughs> this would be VAR. So ball goes out. It looks like a Rangers throw in. Roy Aitken goes up, takes the throw in. Joe Miller's chasing down. Gary Stephen, England international, short passes it back to Chris Woods, England international. And Joe Miller nicks in, steals it, scores the goal. 1-0, cup final of shame. Graham Roberts, Terry Butcher, and Frank McAvaney all get sent off for fighting on the pitch, oh, like wow. full blown, full blown fight, like punches <laughs> a lot, right? So this would get sent off. Terry Butcher gets sent off. Graham Roberts get put in goal, and they all went to court. They all get oh, like wow. they're all, all up for assault because we take our football serious. <laughs> <laughs> the city, and. <laughs> Uh, and then that was, oh, that was it for a few years, lads. And let me tell you, oh, it was grim. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there, just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier, thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. You ready? Showtime. 
On May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Well, let's go on the 80s for a bit because. I, my first exposure to Scottish football when I got into football in 1990 was probably like there was the World Cup 90 sticker around which had all the Scottish players in. But also, it you know, you'd read about it. It was a totally different era to any other era that's followed in that it didn't just feel like the old firm in the 80s. It felt like Rangers, Celtic and Aberdeen and Dundee United were all mm. really good. And Hearts. Hearts and, Hearts. Still a, Hearts and Hibs were still, you know, Difficult games, hard, hard places to go and get a result. You know, in fact, Easter Road, Hibs Stadium, used to have a hill. And the commentator used to say the radio, oh, so Celtic are downhill in the second half. <laughs> <laughs> How much of a hill did it have? Oh, yeah, it had a bit of a hill, yeah, yeah, a bit of a slope. Actually, I was doing a gig at Fur Park a couple of years ago for Motherwell, and... Um, where our green room was was I think it was the South Stand at Fur Park, and it was it was pre-season and they were oh, the pitch was just kind of perfect. But as you sat and you looked at it pitch level, there is a definite incline. You know, I don't think <laughs> yeah. it affect football players that much, but people like me and you, Josh, we would yeah. be exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> and and then in the late eighties, the other thing was obviously that because there was the European ban in mm-hmm. England. Mm. Uh, I remember a lot of the England team were playing for Rangers. So you said Chris Woods, uh, Terry Butcher, Gary Stevens, Trevor Steven. Yep. And did Celtic take advantage of this as well? Or was it just Rangers that seemed to have kind of rinsed the English league? We uh, we didn't have the money. So we didn't have the money. A lot of people think, a lot of the kind of kids nowadays think, well, that's because, you know, Rangers are the British club and it wasn't, yeah. it was nothing to do with that. It was, we didn't have the money. There was um, families who owned Celtic, mainly the Kellys and the Whites, and they had owned them since time immemorial. There's actually a famous picture of McNeil Steen and the the, the grandfather, Robert Kelly, standing with the European Cup. Mm. And these families used to exploit, I think is the probably the less libelous term, of being in charge of Celtic and making money from Celtic Football Club but not putting money back into the club. Right. So at this point, David Murray, who was a steel magnet of Murray International Metals, came into Rangers, brought in Sunis, who was a player manager, a thug. <laughs> he got sent off in his first game, didn't he? Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember there was one challenge on a former Aberdeen Scotland and Celtic player, Billy Stark, who was standing with his boot in his hand. His boot had came off and he was standing at the touchline. And Celtic were passing a, a ball about, I think it was Chris Morris and Roy Aitken and Billy Stark they were passing the ball in a triangle. And Stark standing with his boot in his hand. And Sunis literally comes out of nowhere and puts him into the stand. <laughs> And then you sit and you watch Sunis now, and he's like, oh, this is a terrible challenge. You're like, yeah, you should have been in court for some of your challenges. Now look at you sitting with mascara on, Graham. Oh, no. Um, The big event, though, that kind of, if 
I suppose, starts the story of the 90s. Or it was so such a kind of huge moment in Scottish football was in 1989, uh, former Celtic player Mo Johnson signs for Rangers. First Catholic to sign for Rangers. Judas. What is that like? Because I, I, I've read about that and you're like, how is this not like a movie or at least like a, a brutal book by David Peace, like The Damned United? Like, yeah. it's such an intense story. Take us through that for the people that weren't kind of, haven't read the Wikipedia page like I have. <laughs> so, so for, first of all, at that point in time, for Rangers to sign a Catholic was unheard of, right? Uh, um, Jockstein once got asked this question of you've got two players, one's Catholic, one's Protestant. They're both as good as each other. You need to sign one. Which one are you going to sign? And Jockstein, the son of an Orangeman and a Protestant who was managing Celtic in the 60s, turned around and said, I would sign the Protestant because I know Rangers will never sign the Catholic. Right? So Rangers had... So it was only Protestant. one way. So Celtic would sign Protestant players, but Celt- Rangers wouldn't oh, sign... Yeah. Kenny Dalglish, Danny McGrain, Jockstein. Jockstein played for Celtic in the 50s and he wasn't a Catholic. Yeah, I mean, Celtic were the first team in Scotland to have the first black player in the 1940s. Oh, right, Um, wow. Celtic always had, like... So, to understand Celtic, you need to understand where it came from. So, Celtic is a club born of famine and poverty. Basically, Irish famine, massive, massive migration of Irish into the UK, especially places like, you know, Liverpool, Glasgow, Belfast, mm. port cities, um, couldn't get a job. We all know that no blacks, no dogs, no Irish, we all know that. And um, that's what happened. And then there's a, probably about a mile and a half from my house, there's a, a church, a chapel called St Mary's of the Calton, and a Marist brother set up a football team with the, with the help of Edinburgh Hibernian, Mm. who were Hibs, who gave us a loan to some of the players and we played Rangers in a friendly to raise money to put in, in the, the, the what the actual words are to put food on the table of the of the poor, right? Of the children yeah. who couldn't eat. So Celtic never ever had an agenda of being non anything. They were just a club and now they kind of say club open to all, and they have. They've always been a club open to all. Eh? Like our greatest ever management was the son of an Orangeman. It doesn't get much mm. more Protestant yeah. than that. Right? Yeah. Uh, you know, and you know his father worked down the mines in Lanarkshire. You know, staunchly Protestant. So it was never a thing. So when Johnson, who was a Celtic legend, left Celtic, went to non, nonce. Yeah, went to nonce, yeah, no. and then yeah. he came back. Now, this is the thing. He didn't need just go straight to Rangers. See, if he had went straight to Rangers, Celtic fans would have been like, well, that's outrageous, but we'll live with it. He didn't. He sat at a press conference with our greatest ever captain and then manager, Billy McNeil, and said, Celtic's the only club I've ever wanted to play for. And then the next day was announced as a signing for Rangers. Oof, what? So what was the press conference? Had he agreed to sign for Celtic and then he changed his mind? He'd agreed and then Rangers came in with more money. So oh, wow. it wasn't necessarily the fact that he went Celtic, France, Rangers. It's the fact that he'd done that to Billy McNeil and done yeah. it to us as fans. So 
soccer, the Scotland international forward Mo Johnston has rejoined Celtic from the French club Nantes in a deal worth two million pounds. Johnston once said he'd never go back to Glasgow, but now he says he wants to return to Scotland for the sake of his daughter's education. For years, Mo Johnson's been one of the most colourful figures in British soccer. His scoring ability on the field was in no doubt, his exploits of it frequently making even bigger headlines. Now he's one of the richest players in Britain after a series of transfer deals which have finally taken him back to Celtic. Two years ago, he turned his back on the Scottish club, saying he'd never return. But today he came home for the sake of his girlfriend and their three-month-old daughter. Well, obviously, uh, the family. Got a baby daughter now, we've got to look to the future. And as I say, Celtic came in for me. And I was delighted to join them. Um, you know, often when you go and buy players and you spend big money on them, you're very apprehensive of, of whether you've done the right thing or not. I have no doubts whatsoever that uh, this fellow will be successful here. If Johnson wasn't a millionaire before today's deal, he probably is now. Nantes will collect more than a million from Celtic. Johnson's personal terms will almost double the price. In return, Celtic will be expecting the sort of form which has taken him to a Scottish World Cup record, eight in the competition. Do you remember it happening vividly? Like... Oh, I, 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 listen, I remember, and now I'll get grief in Twitter for this, but you can YouTube this, you'll find this, that there were Rangers fans burning their scarves in their season books. Oh, wow. yeah. Because Catholic was being signed. So there was something I read as well, that the kit man wouldn't arrange Mo Johnson's kit for him. Yeah. That, yep. Like so, he's so hostile for him, and like, like Celtic fans hate him, and Rangers fans hate him, and you basically you've got to live in Glasgow while this is all going yeah. on. Yeah, I actually think he, he lived in Edinburgh. I think he took himself out of Glasgow and lived in Edinburgh so oh. he could have some form of life because oh. you know nobody cares in Edinburgh, right? So because <laughs> uh, for footballers it's like the fringe, Josh. Nobody in Edinburgh actually cares. <laughs> so. Yeah, and, and listen, he was a great player for Rangers and the Rangers fans took to him and all that, blah, blah, blah. And it, and it broke down that door, thankfully. Yeah. Uh, but that, I mean, you're still talking about a club which still has, you know, a picture of the Queen in the dressing room kind of thing. You know, it's not... How much uh-huh. more money do, do they... Like, that's a big decision. The money must have been insane difference. Yeah, well, they're probably not by today's standards. Yeah. But yeah, at that time, it was probably a relative difference, but... It wasn't, and I and I talked to you know people who were grown adults then, and I was a kid, but they were like, it was what he done. It was what he done to Billy, like Billy McNeil, like a man revered by generations of Celtic fans. You know, to yeah. sit there and do that and do that to our greatest ever captain, and probably one of the greatest ever captains in British football. Also, the son of an immigrant mother who took him to Celtic Park to watch football. You know, that's that's Billy McNeil's story. And Johnson just kind of totally disregarded that for, you know, some pieces yeah. of silver. And he is, I mean, like, and, and even now, like, you're just like, you know, it would have been one thing doing it, crossing the divide and breaking down a barrier. Yeah. The manner in which you've done it was disgusting, but also where's the Netflix documentary yeah. on this? It just <laughs> Where feels come like on, guys. such a vivid kind of uh, like it's such an amazing story. Like so intense, such a snapshot of a time, such a snapshot of two clubs. It just mm. feels like I don't know why it's not like a more no. I know it's obviously a very famous moment in Scotland, but you know. 
Yeah. I, it doesn't feel like... Did you know about his skull? Like, as yeah, a- I'm so aware of it. But researching this, you're like, there's so much more to this story and how how yeah, bad it must. I have. knew that he'd done that, but I didn't realise quite how intense it was. Also, it's nuts when like people talk about, oh yeah, well Dennis Law, he went from Man U to Man City, and you're like, hold my beer, mate, hold my beer. <laughs> but this this might be a good opportunity to talk about this. How intense is the rivalry between Celtic and Rangers? Like, how deep does that hatred run for you as a Celtic fan? Ah, oh, right. So for me as a Celtic fan, and I listen, I love Celtic. There's there's nothing I love more in this world than beating Rangers. I absolutely <laughs> love it. I love it. Every bit of my being, I love it. Equally, there's nothing I hate more than getting beat by Rangers, right? But it's for ninety minutes. And I can sit with my mate, who is a Rangers fan and has done. I have sat with my mate and we've watched games and cup finals together. And we have gave each other pelters and we've jumped about and we've shouted and we've screamed and we've had a, a, you know, we've had it all going on for 90 minutes. But I love my mate more, right? But that's me. But you wake up, like, see that, see that week leading up to an old film game? Oh, it's... It's tense, right? It's tense. And that's four times a year. Probably uh, five because you'll meet in at least one cup. Like yeah. that's, an, that's an intense thing to be doing almost once every two months. But it, honestly, but it, it, like, so I was at the, I was at the game uh, a couple of weeks ago and it was like, so that was the first time we had uh, played Rangers at Celtic Park since 2019, right? And, and there was no Rangers fans in the stadium because... That was what was agreed for the first two games. And now it turns out that we can have less fans in. But Rangers have kind of said, look, you're not getting a full stand anymore. You can have 800 people. And you're like, well, you kind of need 12,000 against 40,000 to make it the spectacle. But it is, like, so intense. You will never hear a noise like it. And I've been to Celtic Park and seen us beat Barcelona and seen us beat Man United, seen us beat Juventus. You know, I've seen all that that you will never hear a noise like you hear at Celtic Park. It is like constant, 90 minutes of just constant singing, shouting, fury, absolute pandemonium when I go, like pandemonium. I don't know how the players can even hear themselves. It's magnificent. But that rivalry runs deep. Like I do... I do kind of tongue-in-cheek go, oh, I my new Liverpool, and I'll watch that as a football <laughs> fan. We just, and they're like, yeah, they really hate each other. And I'm like, nah, I don't think people lose their life over this derby. Do you know? Like, there are violence in the streets. You don't... I always say the safest place to watch a, a Celtic Rangers game or a Rangers Celtic game is in either your own house or the stadium. Yeah. Right? It's not in a boozer. Yeah. <laughs> it's not in a pub. And where I stay... So... I, I've got a, a little balcony, and if I open my door, I can hear the cheers from Celtic Park. And from literally five minutes before the final whistle, there's a massive hospital about a mile and a half away from my house. I'll just hear silence because there's so much trouble connected to it. Blimey. And the, the, the statistics, and this is a really sad stuff, the statistics of... Domestic violence and domestic abuse yeah. absolutely spike when that game Jesus happens. Jesus, And it, it's, it's, it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. But conversely, from just from being a fan's perspective and being at that game and enjoying that game as a spectacle, it's absolutely 
pandemonium. Oh, and it, God. And it's amazing, you. though. It's an amazing spectacle. Like, I don't know if you've seen the game a couple of weeks ago, but the, the noise level at that game was just ridiculous. And, you know, there was pyrotechnics, there was displays. There was actually a bit before the game where... Celtic have got these kind of, they call them the disco lights, right? And uh, we've never had to use them for the Champions League. We spent £3 million on them. But I still think they were more value than Albina Yeti. And they started the game, or, or they, they lined up, Celtic went in to do the huddle, and they plunged the stadium into darkness with just the lights at the stairwells on. And they put four green lights in the huddle, in the huddle and darkened the other half oh, of wow. the pitch and all you had was you'll never walk alone blaring <laughs> while 11 Rangers players stood in darkness with none <laughs> of their fans in the stadium and it was genuinely and, I, and that to me is where as much as Celtic played them off the park in the first half and you know 3-0 up that that to me is where Rangers bottle just completely crashed. They just went, Oh, I'm not fancying this today. This is awful. It was on it, it was like something from South America. It was oh, amazing. Wow. Well, enjoy that moment because let's take you back to the nineties. <laughs> <laughs> so Billy McNeil, uh he wins the league in eighty eight, but then uh Celtic are struggling to kind of keep up and in nineteen ninety one Liam Brady takes over. You're eighth manager in a hundred years. Yep. And he's got no previous connection with the club. Quite a strange... And he's never been a manager. Other than being Irish. Other than being Irish. That's his qualification. He's Irish. It's proper Jack Charlton territory here, man. (laughs) (laughs) Liam, if you Guinness, fine. And you come. come. (laughs) It didn't really go well. It was a kind of bad time for the club overall. Because the other thing is, like, it was going really badly off the pitch. Mm. You were... In 92, 93, you couldn't even get a shirt sponsor. Yep, that's that's right, yeah. And, and this is Celtic. That seems yep. mad. Then when we did get a shirt sponsor, it was Ford. It was People's Ford, the local kind of chain of Ford garages. No, like a conference team. Yeah, the Ford badge is blue. And the people's sign was red. So right in the middle of our green and white hoops, we had a red, white and blue sponsor. Amazing. What was going on at the club? So it was just gross mismanagement by the families that, that owned the club. Like, we were, like, we were going into football. So Celtic had, um, the, which is now the North Stand, uh, which was the former jungle, which is our cop, our Stratford End, whatever it may be. Mm. And you like you couldn't move. You could not move. It was rammed. The whole stadium was jam-packed. And they were like, today's attendance is 22,000. And you're like, what? <laughs> I used to remember one night, I think it was a cup game, a fox ran on the park and the whole stadium started singing to one of the directors, there's only two Michael Kellys because the fox was on the park because we knew that they were on the take. Yeah, yeah, that was the feeling at the time. And it comes to a point where you're looking about and you're looking at Celtic Park and it's rammed. And, and you know... And what's Celtic Park like in those days? Is it like... Because now it's this amazing all-seater stadium. Is, is it quite... A lot of decrepit stadiums in those days. Was Celtic yeah. Park one of them? 
Yeah, so we had the the where where the kind of body of the club sits in the tunnel and everything was the the stand, and then we had two massive sets of terracing, um, traditional kind of east and west, and then mm. we had this kind of lower jungle terraced where it was you know um, like a shed almost. You know, it was yeah. that whole kind of long low corrugated roof. Everyone kind of squeezed together, whereas the other two were kind of you know, roofed, but there was there was a lot of space between the roof and the punters kind of thing, but it was terrace. And, and also at this point, Rangers are, you know, getting an all-seater stadium. You know, they're, they're competing in the Champions League. They are, they're getting an all-seater stadium and they're like this, and we're literally, you know, standing like... Irish immigrants that don't have that much. Do you know what you know what I mean? That's that's the truth of how that looked and what that what the perception of that was in Scottish society. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I had a, read a quote that they only allowed 7,000 season tickets at this point because the quote was, they were more trouble than they were worth. Yeah. <laughs> What's that yeah. like? What does that mean? Yeah, Is that, that because they didn't want to have to put them through the box office? Like the- yeah. Yeah. Yeah, all of that, you know. And and it was, a, it was a really dark time and it was a hard time because Celtic have always had this thing. Like, those players that have came through the club and, you know, they've been Celtic fans or whatever, and it's like, look, you're not just playing for a football team here, you're playing for a people, you're playing for a population. And it doesn't matter what colour or what creed they are, but they've came in here under this big umbrella and they all want to be part of this Celtic thing, whether it be because they're an immigrant or their, their faith or because they just feel more akin to that. And then we're all standing there in the rain on terrace and while Rangers are sat there in a nice stadium and, and you know, they've got the better players and it's all seated and you're standing there and you're like, guys, you're, you're making us out to be every distasteful slogan that's ever been said about us. At the, at the time, this was at the same time you say Rangers are all set stadium, you said playing in Europe, that, I mean, I vividly remember the Battle of Britain 
game, which was yep. uh, Rangers versus Leeds. As a Scot, no. but a Celtic fan. No. No. <laughs> you don't even need to finish that question, no. Josh. Just not. What no. was the feeling at that time? The feeling was, come on, Leeds. I have never, I've never supported a Leeds team more than what I would have. No, you could. This is a thing in modern society is that, oh, well, you know, they're British or they're Scottish. No, they're my rivals. And I don't want them to have success because that success brings money and that money brings better players. So, no. (laughs) Wow. I have to live in the same city as these people. So, just no. Like, under no circumstances. (laughs) (laughs) Um, um, That's, like, quite an interesting point because we were discussing this on the phone, weren't we, beforehand, Chris? Yeah. Like... Our feeling watching football growing up then is that Scottish football was really strong. Certainly throughout the 90s. Is that how you felt, Skull? Yeah, no, no. I think there was a genuine debate in the 90s about what was the better league. And I think eventually the money that came into English game overtook it. But did you feel as a Celtic supporter in the 90s that Celtic were just as good as every, every club in England? Oh, listen, yeah, I mean... Well, maybe not I, in the 90s, I'll take that back. Maybe we're Rangers. Maybe not on the pitch, right? <laughs> but I think I think that that Rangers team could have uh, competed in the Premier League. Um, yeah, 100% could they, or, or the old English League one. Yeah, absolutely. And I still maintain to this day that if Celtic had access, or Rangers for that matter, had access to that money, that they would be able to compete, maybe not straight away, but within a year or two because they've got the fan base, they've got the world following. Look, like Josh, you've you've travelled doing comedy and you'll know that if you if you go anywhere in the world, you will stumble into a boozer that's a Celtic supporters club. And it's the same for Rangers. You know? So there's absolutely no reason that they wouldn't be big. But unfortunately, we're now, you know, subject to Sky and, and we don't, we, we can't be there. But when we get our opportunity to shine, all we can do is take that opportunity and play well. That was the yeah. other thing we were saying about in the 90s, that debate. Well, you were, you were interested in this, weren't you, Skull? That... There was a lot of talk in that, I'm sure it was in the 90s, of Celtic joining the Premier League. Is that something you've aspired to as a fan? Like, is it, does it give you more opportunities, more money? Will it grow the stature of the club? Would it something you'd want? Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. I ultimately want Celtic... Like, if there's one thing I'm jealous of my dad is that my dad got to see Celtic win a European Cup. And I never, I, I, And I'll never get to see that. And the thought of Celtic... Like, you've seen Seville in 2003 when Celtic got yeah. to a European final. You've seen the just... Thousands upon hundreds of thousands of Celtic fans just there for a party without a ticket, right? Because it was just, it was their Lisbon, right? And, and you know, we played against this team that were a good team, but they were they were cheats, do you know? They were cheats. Yeah. Mourinho's portal were cheats. And... <laughs> well, they had this manager. I don't know if you uh, saw who their manager was, but he... Yeah. <laughs> never forgiven him. No, I don't care. I, no, never forgiven him. But I think that's it. And I think there's always some clubs that kind of surpass money. As much as what they benefit from it, they still keep the fabric of that club kind of true. You know, if you look at teams like Liverpool, uh, Man United, uh, Villa, you know, teams that have got 
that have got heritage and history and it, mm. it, it stays with them, do you know? Yeah. And it kind of, as much as what they're a multi-million pound organisation and, and everything else, fundamentally, it, it's still that club and that community that is an absolute pinnacle for people. So Celtic at the start of the 90s are kind of, you know, they're at their lowest ebb. Mm-hmm. And then 1994, oh, mate. the club hours away from going out of business. So, that yeah. seems incredible. How's that happen? Here's an interesting fact. So it was the Bank of Scotland who were willing to call in Celtic's, I think it was £4 million worth of debt. Mm. Like £4 million in the 90s. The very same bank who allowed Rangers to run up £80 million worth of debt <laughs> in 2010. <laughs> now, if I do the maths and the basic economic figures of money doubles every 10 years on average, and let's say you even put 20% onto that double, it still comes nowhere close to the 80 million, right? Yeah. And we got this little Canadian businessman, and there's actually a guy, I know this guy, a guy called David Lowe, he's got a book out, and David owns a few bars and stuff in Glasgow. Yeah. David's a financial guy, and David was employed by Fergus McCann to go around the world and buy up Celtic shares. Now, it wasn't people, it was people who are maybe third or fourth generation in New Zealand, in the back end of nowhere, shearing sheep. And he turns up at the door and he says, this is who I am, and this is what I'm here for, and you've got shares and we would like to buy your shares so we can take over the club because this is what's happening to this football club. And if you don't sell these shares, they're going to be worthless anyway. And he travelled around North America, Canada, oh, South wow. America, Australia, New Zealand, employed by Fergus McCann to do that. And so these people had got their shares just through, they've been handed down from generation to generation. Is that what's aye, happened there? Aye. Basically, so we had the the Kellys and the Whites and Tom Grant, who were all on the board, um, who basically ran Celtic, and they were the majority shareholders. But there was other shares just displaced through the world, handed down, migration, all that. So there's loads of, loads of people in Ireland mm. with shares. And he went round the world and spoke to all these shareholders and said, wow. well, you can have shares of nothing or you can <laughs> have no shares of something. Right? Like, yeah. what would your ancestor who gave you these want you to do? And they were like, well, I'll sell my shares then. And, and that, is that how he took over, Fergus McCann? Yeah, yeah. Blimey. He went in, they paid off the bank, and that's how he done it, because they managed to overthrow the board by then being the majority shareholder. And did things change overnight then? When I mean, obviously results... By this point, it's 94, so what, that you're five, five in a row for Rangers... At this point, are you worrying about nine in a row? No, no, because at this point, you're just glad that the club's alive. Now, bear in mind, yeah. it's 1994, right? So there's no internet. Yeah. And you're, you're hearing this come through on the news and on the radio. This isn't a Twitter minute-by-minute, yeah. second-by-second thing that you can keep a hold of. You're literally in school and people are like trying to get to a radio and find out what's happening. And... They, 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 they saved the club and McCann came in and like, because that was another thing, the old board wanted to move the stadium. Like, moving your stadium, man, like, like you can't just go and lift up Buckingham Palace or the Vatican and they're going to build a new stadium in a new place and just take us away from Celtic Park. Yeah. And fans are like, no, it, it might be an absolute wreck and a dump, but redevelop it because it's our stadium. Yeah. It's where 
our fathers and our fathers' fathers and our fathers' fathers' fathers came to watch football, you know? So Fergus McCann came in and he developed a plan. Uh, The first thing he done was move Celtic's banking away from Bank of Scotland. Paid off the bank, moved everything to, actually moved everything at that point to the cooperative bank. Yeah. (laughs) Fergus, ethical Fergus. Love it. So he moved (laughs) uh, to there and then came up with plans for the stadium and how we're going to go about doing it. But Fergus was a really, really shrewd businessman. Used to call him the bonnet. He's the most normal looking guy ever. Tiny little guy with a little moustache and little glasses and a little wee peaky blinders bonnet. And uh, he uh, he was a multi-millionaire. And he said, look, I'm going to come in. I'm going to build the stadium. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And then I'm going to leave. And I'll probably double my money. And everyone was like, all right, okay. And he, he moved us to Hamden for a season to play while the stadium was getting redeveloped. What was that like? That that was that was terrible because Hamden's terrible when it's full, let alone when you know it's Celtic v Aberdeen playing at Hamden. It's just awful because it's such a terrible stadium, Hamden. It's quite it? literally oh, it's the worst. It's like it's like the third best stadium in Glasgow. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> it, it, it's just it's just such it's so it's so long and and. It's got a running track round oh, We've it. had a discussion about this before on the programme. It's just, I was just kind of going in my head. Isn't there a really small team that plays there, right? Queen's Park. Queen's Park. Do they yeah. play in Hampden Park? So they used to, uh, but now they, they, they play at Lesser Hampden, which is a small oh. stadium, just at, at the side of the stand. Uh, oh, Hampden, right. Walking See the next time you're in Glasgow, just come a day early and we'll have a football day, mate. Oh, we'll yes, just, I'd love that. That'd be such a laugh. <laughs> uh, obviously, like, I'd like, so there's Ibrox over to Celtic Park uh, and then spend the rest of the day there, right? But, <laughs> yeah, it was a really difficult time. They opened up the North Stand. Rod Stewart, celebrity fan, uh, opened it up. Yeah. And uh, at that point, so we had the, 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 the East Stand and the North Stand, which are all just one structure. I actually remember uh, in the summer walking into Celtic Park with my dad like so it's a building site it's just mounds of dirt and they've got the top of the roof uh, of the north stand going in with the purlins i'm like 14 and we just walked in my dad's like oh it's the purlins there and you can see where they're going to be putting the light fittings because my dad was a spark so yeah. we're putting the light fittings right just walked into a building site walked in guys walking about in trainers and jeans and no top on the bottle iron brew hanging out the back pocket right see nowadays when I work in construction, I can't go on a building site unless I prove documentation that I'm supposed <laughs> having it. But meanwhile, in the 90s, you could just casually so you're walk just on. walking into Celtic Park, just yeah. like... Just a big mound of dirt I was standing on, just oh, a big wow. mound of dirt, watching them put the purlins in. <laughs> My dad's like, well, I'm going to see what they're up to in this building site. <laughs> Incredible. Then he's like, I can't believe my daughter's a lesbian. You used to take me building sites for days out, man. <laughs> and then when Fergus... So it's not just off the field, but on the field, it starts to change a bit. You get Tommy Burns, um, oh, and then you sign, over the next period, people like Van Hooydonk, De Canio, Georges Cadet. Oh, some of these players... This is For me, this is the classic... Celtic team of the 90s, some of these yeah. players you're bringing in here. So, Tommy Burns, right? We need to talk about Tommy Burns because Tommy Burns 
was a man who once said, I was just a fan who got lucky. Right? And Tommy Burns was a great Celtic player and he lived and breathed Celtic and he grew up like, I don't know, it's about three miles or something in the stadium. Lived and breathed it. And when Tommy Burns, Tommy Burns had done well at Kilmarnock in Reading and he came home to manage Celtic. And what a team we had. What a team. And the way we played football was everything that the way Celtic should play football. It's what's synonymous with our history. Ball in the deck, passing, moving, beautiful to watch. Great. And we, so we'd lost the League Cup at Ibrox, uh, two Rangers, uh, two Wraith Rovers, uh, 6-5 and penalties in 94. Penalty missed by Paul McStay. Celtic legend, could have played anywhere in the world. Decided to stay at Celtic as the captain. If you've never seen Paul McStay, he was one of Rio Ferdinand's heroes. And Paul McStay was an absolute baller. Right, just what a player. What kind of midfielder was he? Because he was like, I remember, I remember his sticker, and I remember him being like one of Scotland's best, better players at the mm. time. What kind of player was Paul McStay? Because it was slightly so, before my time. A cavalier, just, a, just a classic midfielder. He could pick a pass through the eye of a needle. He could tackle. He could run with the ball. He could beat players. He he was just your consummate professional, hardworking, very good player. Like yeah. just so enjoyed, like glided across the pitch, but yeah. could take a tackle. You know they, you know, would get back up and win the ball back. Just a great, great player. And Celtic have always had very good midfielders through since time in memorial, right? So it's what they're kind of synonymous for because that's the football that we play. So you need to be able to play with the ball at your feet. And Tommy Burns came in, they had this team. And we hadn't won a trophy since 1989. And he got us to the final of the Scottish Cup. And it was genuinely one of the best days of my life. I remember absolutely being in tears at winning the Scottish Cup. Even though it's the Scottish Cup and Rangers are winning the league that year. Yep, yep. Because we had won a trophy. Yeah. Because the season before we didn't... and that was under Lou McCarry. And then Tommy got us to win the cup. And that cut, we beat Airdrie 1-0, Pierre Van Hoydonk header. And honestly, it was like someone had released a pressure tap. Yeah. It was just this, this feeling of emotion and a wave of emotion. Because you've got to bear in mind in the 90s, so like, I, I'm, I was friends with people whose brothers and sisters hadn't ever seen Celtic win a league. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I hadn't seen Celtic win a cup. That's that's how big it was because, you know, those kids were maybe four the last time Celtic had won a cup. Blimey. You know? And, and, it's and, mad. You know, it's such a big club now. I just so you know, now it's it's like, it's different to say, man, you not winning the league for 26 years because there's so many big clubs yeah. in, in England that it could happen. It happened to Liverpool as well. Mm. But it's like... Bayern Munich not winning anything for five years. Yeah, it, it's nuts. It's nuts. And the thing is, there's so many people around the world, like like you and I both know, like Mick Ferry, right? Who, man, you through and through fan, uh, through and through, will keep an eye out for a Celtic score. You know, yeah. uh, there, there's there's people where because of the very nature of the club and how that club came about and everything that it stood for, who naturally migrate to that club. So they they always kind of 
loads of people have that have Celtic as like a second team. I yeah. can't fit in a second team. I don't have enough love in my heart. it's too busy it's too busy with the Celtic but yeah there there is that and listen Rangers have that as well they're just not as good but (laughs) but but they do Rangers Rangers obviously have that as well and there is that whole second team thing and and Celtic have that so for Celtic to go without a, a trophy for that long this world famous club is just bonkers Lachlan sends over a good cross, that's awkward. Jimmy Boyle scambles the ball away, but only as far as McKinley. That's called by Hoydon. Great header! And Celtic are ahead! Pierre Van Hoydon scores his eighth goal in Celtic colours and sets the cup final alight. time Rangers have got some incredible players like they're Mm. buying players that would be signing for top European they've got Brian Laudrup Mm. and then they've got Paul Gascoigne Mm -hmm. how was that when Rangers signed Paul Gascoigne that must have felt annoying I mean he was such a big player I think the thing so Burns's team played football really well and we were really unlucky one season like we were Four points behind Rangers, and we only lost one game that season, but we drew 11, right? So, And we came up against these Rangers teams, and do you know what? They were fantastic. They were fantastic. You know, you had McCoy, Haitley, Gascoigne, Loudrop, like, fan, George Alberts, oh, fantastic Rangers teams. Great Rangers teams. And it was really hard because we would play them off the pitch, and McCoyce would literally run up and score a goal. Or Gascoigne, like Gascoigne would do nothing for 88 minutes and then bang, score a goal or bang, put a ball through and, and yeah. McCoyce or someone. Because he was so talented. And like, I remember games where Gascoigne was getting absolute pelters and you'd never seen him for the best part of the game. And then he would just turn around and change the game on a spin. And what a player he was. What I would say is, personally, I don't think that move, personally, was the best move for Pogas. Because I think at that time, there was a... And this isn't... I'm not slagging off Rangers or that here. It was a different time, but there was a really close-knit team there with a big drinking culture. Yeah. And, you know, there was a few players in that team who have now since went into recovery. And for whatever else, and of that generation, which is very common in football and I get it but I don't think coming to the goldfish bowl that is Glasgow having the life that he was leading through dependency on alcohol and then the problems within his own personal life and having that splashed across the 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 front page was I think that was just very, very difficult for him and for his family who were having to live under that um so yeah, uh, but as a footballer, was it a pleasure to watch him? Not at the time, but I'm, <laughs> I'm glad I did. I'm glad I did. 
get to get to see that talent because he was ridiculous. Now Mike Namara, chance here for Celtic. John Hughes is there! It's off the crossbar! The Celtic players can't believe it. Gascoigne might punish them now on the counter-attack. Celtic are through the back. Low drop, wide for Alberts. There's Gascoigne! Do you think there's... Because Gaz is coming, he's one of the best players in the world, but he's kind of, you know, he's got his personal problems. You've got Van Hooydonk, he's quite a difficult player. De Canio... Mm. Is there a kind of... And you're obviously a big fan of Di Canio, Chris. As a but that, that, is there a kind yeah. of feeling that you get these ultra-talented players that are slightly damaged goods that come to Scotland at that time? Is that how you saw it? Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I think you're probably on to something there. Obviously, Van Hooydonk came and left, and and that's when we kind of realised the difficulties because there was a thing where him, the Canyon cadet, had kind of said, give us more money because we're the stars. And we Fergus just went, no, I'll sell you. And they went, ha, so you will. And they went, no, I'm going to sell you, bye. Right, because that... And Celtic fans were outraged at McCann. Outraged, they were like, what? Well, I've never been closer to winning the league and you go and sell the best players that we've got? Oh, outrageous. Do you know what I mean? Like, really, that kind of rabid football parochial view of just win at all costs, I don't care what you have to do. Whereas, you know, the businessman in the situation went, no, we will not be held to account by these guys. And and do you know what? McCann was right. McCann was right. And... At that point as well, yeah, they were slightly damaged. At this point, we also never knew that Powell was a fascist. So, you know, that that (laughs) doesn't really sit in with the whole Celtic mentality. I remember that happening and just going, oh, Paolo, no. No, that's it. And that's all it took for you no longer to be a Celtic legend. Thanks for the memories, Paolo. But no, you've done that now. So that's that. you can't take that back. I know. I, I just want to... Yeah, I totally agree. I saw on Twitter the other day a video of like the, the best bits of Paolo Di Canio at Celtic and I think he was better at Celtic. The goals he's scoring, some of the stuff he was doing. Yeah. I'm like, why isn't every at the time I don't feel like people were talking about it enough, but why why did he end up at Sheffield Wednesday? He was incredible in that spell for Celtic, scored some unbelievable goals. He was incredible and he played in a team that had really creative players like Tosh McKinley was in that team and I don't know if you'll even remember Tosh McKinley playing oh, for man. Scotland. Yeah, but Tosh McKinley yeah. had an outstanding cross. What a crosser of the ball. And he could pass the ball and you John Collins and Paul McStain. When you're dealing with these guys that, that can play football, it makes people like Paolo's job ten times easier. Yeah. But was there, when he left, were you expecting him to go to, a, you know, a Liverpool or a... It just felt um, like... Yeah, I mean, I suppose so, but I mean, he's such a loose cannon. Do you know? Yeah. Such <laughs> was a he loose still? Cannon. Was he even a loose cannon at Celtic? Oh, he was meant like as mad as a box of fox. <laughs> Absolutely madness. But you know, it's the whole madness and genius thing. Yeah, isn't it? It's the whole madness. It's you know Maradona syndrome. And do you know what? We can apply that to Paul Gascoigne. Yeah. And yeah. and 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 it's you know it, it's so sad, and I know. It's so sad. It's just so sad when you see how detrimental it was to their lives. Do you know what I mean? Like, they're just either their their madness or substance abuse. I I, I listened to Paul Merson on an interview recently, and 
talking about his wife and how much she tolerated and, and so much yeah. about his life. And I just go, oh, Merce, man, you were, you could, you and you were such a good player and you played in such a good Arsenal team, but man, if you could have went all the way, mate, you could have went yeah. all the way, you know, and, and you're like, sad. It's really, really sad. But it's also really sad for the families and the women who have been subjected to whatever they've had to be subjected to. He, it does feel like Paul Merson is a is a lost Celtic or Rangers player waiting to happen, really, isn't it? He, 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 he could have ended up in the Scottish Premier League. He'd have been absolutely yeah. perfect for it. Oh, you can almost taste that alternative universe, can't you? You yeah. can almost take like in like in the in recesses of your mind, you feel like that actually happened. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure yeah. Paul Merson yeah. played for Celtic, didn't he? For a year. <laughs> <laughs> then is the following season though? Is the year Rangers are going for ten in a row? Yes, and Celtic a point. Wim Janssen? Yes. So Wim, Wim Janssen was our first non-Scottish or Irish manager. He was our first international manager. A wee guy from Japan that nobody had heard of. Sounds quite familiar. <laughs> <laughs> and then you lose your first two games. Mm-hmm. You don't know who your manager is. You mm-hmm. must be thinking, this is 10 in a row for Rangers. Oh, I think at this point you're thinking it's going to be about 15 in a row for Rangers. But... <laughs> But you can see what Janssen's trying to do. You can see it. And there was a bit, and I can't pinpoint it exactly, but there was a bit where you, you because it was a terrible start to the season, and you were like, oh, no, I don't know how this is going to pan out. Now, I'm going to the games at this point. But you're, but you're watching the team going, oh, no, I can, I can see this. It's just, things just aren't quite coming off, but... All the bits leading up to it are coming off, right? And there's a there's a thing that nobody really talks about here. Uh, we had quite bad injuries at the start of that season. Mm. And at the end of August 1997, Princess Diana died. And right. a Celtic Rangers game got postponed until the November, by which point we had those injured players back. And I still maintain if that game had went ahead in August, I don't know if we would have won the league oh, wow. that season because of the injuries that we had where key players, important players, you know, it was like Alan Stubbs and stuff like that, you know, like your centre half, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and if we didn't get those players back in time for that game, which we wouldn't have done, would we have went on and won the league or would Rangers have, you know, really gave us our right doing because the game was at Celtic Park as well. So instantly you were... It's not like you're yeah. going to go to Ibrox and get beat. We've still got two games at home. You've not. So what you're saying is Rangers 10 in a row was prevented unbelievably by an event related to the royal family. I know. You couldn't make it up. But I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, Josh mentioned earlier, was it 92, 93, you had this kit, the, the kit with no sponsor. But then around this time, you've got double sponsor. Yeah. Umbro, the kit sponsor... And then Umbro, the sh- like the team club sponsor. Yeah, yeah. and I'd never seen that. I-, I found it so fascinating. I can remember it in my like it's burned into my retina. That is, is that an iconic kit for Celtic yeah. fans? Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. That's an iconic kit, and the badge on that kit was absolutely huge as well. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was in that, but that team, like that team for that season was unbelievable. That team, you know, Paul Lambert, Craig Burley, Tom Boyd, 
Johnny Gould was our keeper. What a season he had. That's Bobby uh, Gould's son, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, what a season he had. Jackie McNamara. Uh, uh, Larson, you know, and that was the, the you are my Larson, you know. Please you love Larson, Larson, don't you, Skull? Oh, oh Larson, what a player. I, I, I mean, you look at what he did when he joined Man United after the kind of the pomp of his career. How good was he for Celtic during that time? He was genuinely one of the best players in the world, right? Yeah, so without doubt, he was one of the best players in the world. And Henrik Larson had a, almost a career-ending injury, a, a double-leg break in a European game for Celtic. And that probably kept him at Celtic because Barnes and Dalglish were ready to sell him. Obviously, they left before him and the rest is history because Larson went back to the Euros and took a right few heavy challenges that that tournament and he was getting back up and he came back to Celtic like nothing on earth. But what what a player. And like As much as what I'm jealous of my dad, I'm sure there's kids in this world that are really jealous that I just watched Henry Larson for seven <laughs> games a season because... It was an absolute joy to watch, and the way, like the way, he would shape his run and shape his body and take the ball in and lay the ball off. He just—I mean, there was games in European football where Henrik Larsson single-handedly won it for us, as he did for Barcelona when they played Arsenal, right, in the in the Champions League final. But what I mean, the fact that he stayed at Celtic for seven years was. Unbelievable because the offers came in from him and he just he Celtic made him their highest paid player on forty grand a week, which in, at that point was nothing. You know, Manu Fergie was trying to get him pretty much every season, and he was like, "No, my family are settled and my wow. wife's settled and this, and I'm just going to be here." And his last game at Celtic Park, Celtic done everything like they they were putting the ball in the plate from to try and get him to score in his last game, and he scored and. Honestly, I've never seen so many grown men cry in my life. They were in absolute tears and the whole place was just singing to him for 90 minutes and men were like bubbling. And it was just that we've seen something special and I don't know if I'm going to see something special ever again like the way I've seen him, you know? And that's what it was. And like that game in Seville and just, you know, the chip of Kloss and the 6-2 game and, oh, what, I mean, the man could leap like a salmon but had the touch of a ballerina. He was just incredible and the fact that Celtic had him for seven years is amazing. But you know what I love most? That although he's won the Champions League with Barcelona and he was at Man United and all that kind of stuff, he's still synonymous with Celtic. In the 80th minute, Alan Thompson's free kick, Henrik Larsson's header! It's finally happened in his last competitive match at Celtic Park. Larsson marks the milestone with one of his trademark goals. It's a great header. It's his 38th goal of the season, his 239th Celtic career goal. A gas cross, Larson there again. Got one, he's got two. The Henry Larson farewell tour gathering momentum. And that's now 39 for the season. There might even be a tear in the eye for Henrik Larson. It is an emotional afternoon for him. Seven years at Celtic, and there's a good round number 240 Celtic goals now. 
The King of Kings is the cry. Full time at Celtic Park. And the champions end their league season with another win. And who else but Henrik Larsson to score the goals which gave them another victory. Two in three minutes, two in the final ten minutes. And the rest of the family were there to enjoy it. There's little Jordan. And how he will have enjoyed the sight of his dad tucking those two late chances away. And bringing Larson's Celtic years towards a fairy tale ending. Still, of course, the Tenant Scottish Cup final to come, but uh, he's wiping a tear from his eye, understandably, because everything about today has been directed towards him and Henrik's face tells a story hugely emotional for him as he bids farewell to Celtic Park. So you win the league under Wim Janssen. Joseph Fenglosh comes in. I, what I really want to cover here is the next managers, though. The duo of general oh. manager Kenny Dalgleish and head coach John Barnes. What a pair. What's the feel? Because Dalgleish obviously is a club legend and a manager who's, at this point, not brilliant in Newcastle, but has been so, so successful at Liverpool and Blackburn. So what's the feeling when they get given the job? So the Barnes bit was questionable, but I think everyone felt, well, it's all right because Kenny's there. Yeah. Right. And, and obviously you had a generation of guys who, like my dad, who watched Kenny Dalgleish play for Celtic and stuff like that and and they came in and you're like right okay and then you started to see the way we were playing and you're going wait a minute because Joe Venglos right as much Joe Venglos signed one of the, the greatest ever players that Celtic has had in Lubomir Maravchik I, I urge every listener to go and google Lubomir Maravchik on YouTube and watch this guy he is like nothing you've ever seen before Right, and he yeah. got two bad injuries, and this is how he ended up at Celtic. Right, right, yeah, right. Damage so he, goods. Bad, yeah, kind of. Oh, yeah, thirty-year-old Slovakian. You know, Rangers were signing Daniel Prodan in the same week for four million pounds, and we signed Lubomir Maravchik. And <laughs> what a ta- what you'll never see two feet like this in your life. Honestly, unbelievable. And we and and Venglos, as much as what, oh, Doctor Joe, he was a kind of joke figure. But he was he was really, really professional, really professional and really forward thinking at that time and how we play football and how we train and science and all that, all of this in the late 90s. And then we moved on to Barnes and Dalglish. Just horrendous. It was like they had never coached a football team in their life. And how's it working? So Dalglish is general manager, Barnes is head coach. Do you guys understand what that means? Like, how does it, to the fans, do you know what's going on? So basically, Barnes is in the dugout, isn't he? And, and yeah. Douglas as well. Douglas is just kind of walking about and looking like one of those wee Scottish women that go to the bingo. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> kind of weather beaten. But Douglas, it, it's chaos, it's bedlam, and it, it's a disaster. It? And then there's a there was a bar in the kind of Gallagher area of Glasgow that was kind of synonymous with the more... Uh, political element of some Celtic fans and right. he had a press conference in that bar which you would Bars. just 
yeah, Barnes and Douglas, right? Yeah. You just <laughs> you just wouldn't have done this because there's a there's a political side, there's some sides of Celtic that, that I just don't subscribe to, right? Yeah. I'm comfortable with it. And kinda, you know, chants and Republican yeah, yeah. chants and stuff. It's not for me, right? It's just not who I am. And they had it in this bar. And I was like, you know, see if Rangers had that in an equivalent bar, I yeah. would be disgusted. I yeah. would be disgusted. So I'm just going to, I just find this embarrassing now that you're the general manager and this is how you're going to conduct yourself for the for, for Celtic. You know, a world-famous club and this is what you're doing. You've lured us having a press conference in a boozer in the east end of Glasgow. What was the press conference? Was that then being unveiled or just a general? No, no, it was just a general press conference, but it was awful. It was just wow. awful. And and Larson got injured. Uh, UEFA Cup game, I think. Yeah, it was a UEFA Cup game. Larson and Moles, Michael Moles was playing for Rangers at the time and he got injured around about the same time in the Champions League. And Larson got injured and that thankfully meant that they couldn't sell Larson. Because obviously uh, there's no transfer window at this point. You're just yeah. trading through the season as and when. So there's there's no transfer window. They could just have punted him before Christmas. And then we'll just cash in chips just now. We'll punt him and then we'll go and buy somebody that's mediocre that's not getting a game at Newcastle. And do you, were you at the game against Inverness, Caledonian Thistle? Yeah, I was at, I was at it. I was at it. Uh, and it was it was awful. Is that the worst? Is that the worst experience of your Celtic life? Right, so take away any kind of uh, Rangers defeat, right? So we'll take them out. I think, I think that was probably the most embarrassing because we had kind of got ourselves back up to a level where we'd won the league. Yet the following season, Rangers won the treble, but that's kind of swings and roundabouts. We'd broken all the hoodoos. We'd get the hoodoos off with a couple of really good players. Like we'd seen Paul Lambert from Borussia Dortmund. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like, like we had players, and then to sit and watch the bear, bear in mind, like Inverness, Cali Thistle were just new to the league, the actual league format, because there were two clubs that merged within a couple of years of that. So they weren't, they weren't the team that's been in the the championship and the Scottish Premiership for fifteen years. Do you know what I mean? They weren't that. They weren't that club. So, yeah, Super Cali, Go Ballistic, Celtic, Caratotis. <laughs> One of the most famous headlines ever, right? Sensational. Uh, the worst. <laughs> the worst. But you had to go through that to get out the other side of it. And the other side was Martin O'Neill, who... Here he is. St Martin. A, a great end to a terrible decade. Your favourite Celtic manager you've ever seen? Oh, it's well, see, just now, right? I am madly in love with Ange Postacoglu. I cannot tell you how much I love that man. Martin O'Neill gave me pride back in Celtic. I remember beating Rangers 6-2 in Celtic Park. The place is pandemonium. We're 3-0 up at halftime. They've had to hook Fernando Rickson off the park because Bobby Petter ran amok. Celtic have also been battering teams 4-5-0 and five nil at this point. Chris Sutton scoring for fun. We've got Alan Thompson putting balls in the wing. Neil Lennon's not assigned yet. And we're going to play Rangers and it's an 
absolutely glorious scorching day, 27th of August, scorching, not a cloud in the sky. We go down to Celtic Park, 12 o'clock kickoff. Celtic are 3-0 up within 15 minutes. Right, Bedlam, pandemonium. And I remember standing in the concourse and this wee guy came up to me looking for a lighter because you could still smoke in the stadium. And he was like, Jink will manage to hang on, hen. Because like, that's how defeatist we were. <laughs> I was like, oh, mate, I hope so. Like, you're 3 nothing up at half-time. You were 3 nothing up at half-time a couple of weeks ago and we were like, aye, he's another seven, right? Like, do you know what I mean? But we were 3 nothing because we were so traumatised by always getting so close to Rangers and then pipping up and scoring that that we were then sitting going, ah, I don't know, can we hang on to a 3-0 lead? And then we went to Ibrooks in the October and get beat 5-1. And then we kicked on from that. And we won a treble. And it was the first treble in my lifetime. I was 21 years old. I've subsequently seen that treble, another treble, and, and then four trebles back to back. <laughs> right? But but that and that was our first treble since Steam was the manager. Oh, right. So when you put it in the context of the modern day. Of yeah. us winning four trebles back to back when Rangers were back in the top division, that's some achievement because before that, you you never seen a treble. It's you know? a, it's an incredible kind of turnaround from where we started this conversation. It's kind of an incredible decade, not a great decade for you, but Chris, I mean, I'm quite interested in this, Chris, because you always yeah. end on the same question. You yeah. always. Feel like, I feel like we can predict this one, right? Yeah, I think I know the answer. But Susie, if I gave you the option to go back to the 1st of January 1990 and relive this decade again, would you take that? Here's the thing, right? <laughs> There's a saying on Twitter among Celtic fans as, oh no, here come the Celtic Daz, right? Like, people my age who remember the 90s. So I'm a bit like a Celtic maw, right, as we would say in Glasgow, a mum, Celtic mum. It was a very, very difficult time, and you didn't know if we would ever win the league again. But that feeling in that stadium that day when we stopped that 10, and that feeling in watching the late great Tommy Burns Celtic team winning that Scottish Cup, and knowing what I know now, and having watched Martin O'Neill Celtic, and now currently watching Ange Postacoglu Celtics, which, let me tell you, is an absolute joy. Would I change it? I don't know, because sometimes I think as a football fan, you need the pain to appreciate what Brendan Rodgers achieved and to appreciate a quadruple treble and to appreciate that feeling of beating Rangers when you're not meant to and stuff like that. So... As much as what I go, oh, could I go back through and live through that? Oh, I don't know if I could. There's also a bit of me that's like, yeah, but the 20 years, the 22 years after that have been pretty much joyous and I'll never take it for granted because I lived through that. Amazing. And see, every time I walk up to that stadium and I walked up the other week and I, I walked up, they've got the Celtic Way right, which they've kind of put in, it's all paved in the Superstone, it's all lit up and we're going to see, going to play Rangers under the floodlights, can he beat it? Walking up to Celtic Park and I just kind of looked at the stadium and I went, no bad for a bunch of immigrants that couldn't afford food. Yeah. And I <laughs> loved that. 
Uh, and I lost that. So to, to so to summarise, your answer is you don't want to, but you probably you feel like you should. Yeah, I think there's a generation, there's a generation of Celtic fan who absolutely should go and live through that. <laughs> <laughs> and then they'll see what the, the old Celtic dads and mums are talking about. Uh, so yeah, no, no, but but listen, yeah, there's always a wee bit of me that just walks up and goes, yeah, I'm really proud of this because. It's great. They're, they're just the, the business. But honestly, mate, next time you're in Glasgow, any yes. Glasgow, let's go, I want to do an old firm. I you've really firm, made. Man. Oh wow! Ah, I right. tell you, you've First really talked. All, it. You've sold it to me. We right. We have to do this. We have to do this. You have to come up. We'll have a football weekend. We'll do like Hamden. We'll do the Celtic Park tour. Do or even do the Rangers tour. Right? <laughs> yeah, I'll <laughs> oh, that'd football. be great. And, and see where Kenny Dalglish did that press conference as well. Oh, maybe. well, that pub's now a hipster gentrified pub. <laughs> Game's Guess what's gone. happened to the East End of Glasgow? Papers and Christmas, eh? Um, Susie McCabe, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Lads, that has been great fun. Take care of yourselves. Look Cheers, after mate. You see you soon, Cheers, bye. That was Susie McCabe on Celtic. Um, loved that. Absolutely loved it. Thank you, Susie. Uh, we'll get her back at some point to do Scotland in the 90s because I'd love to go through that as well, put her through 10 more years of hell. Um, but now it's time for the quiz. We got sent a lovely quiz last time, and I th- we did it once, but it feels like we should do it again, doesn't it? Which is, I read out the uh, teams only by first name, and S- Michael and Chris, you buzz in, first to get three teams correct. Is that okay? Yeah. I'm, I'm looking to redeem myself. Yeah, Michael's 2-0 up and lost 3-2. So, opening day of the Premier League, ever. August the 15th, 1992. Happy with that? 1992, yeah. yeah. Here we go. Brian. Stop. Stop. It's Chris. <sighs> Norwich. It is! <laughs> incredible! Damn. He's got his eyes in now. <laughs> Oh, for the record I, I, I was also going Norwich as well oh, I was thinking are we going to get to rule because that's going to give it away <laughs> isn't it <laughs> okay Mark Brian Stuart stop Michael uh, Nottingham Forest uh, correct it's one all it's very tense isn't yeah. it yeah David Tony stop S- Arsenal it is! Oh, He's absolutely missed two under Michael. Wow. The standard Whoa. this week is incredible, so considering we've gone back to 92 as well. Oh. Okay. Tim. Stop. Oh. To win it. Southampton. Oh. He's oh. done it. He's yes. 3-1. Yes. Absolutely incredible. <laughs> I was hoping you'd go Blackburn, but... Oh. Uh, for a, for a oh. beat, a beat I nearly did. Oh, what an incredible... The quickest quiz we've ever done in our lives. <laughs> Uh, Michael, what would you like to end us with, please? Uh, well, I think in tribute to today's episode, the second most famous Celtic fan after Susie is Rod Stewart. So oh, I would like us to play out with uh, the only 90s Rod Stewart song I know, which is Have I Told You Lately That I Love You? Perfect. Lovely. We'll be back next week. Don't forget, if you want more Quickly Kevin, get yourself over to the Quickly Kevin fan club on Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash Quickly Kevin where there's loads of extra episodes. We'll be back next week. Until then... Robbie Slater. See you later. Have I told you lately that I love you? Have I told you there's no one else?
This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side by side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.